Welcome to Sam Watches Star Trek, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is Sam. Stop talking to that child who clearly knows what's happening. This week, we are going to discuss Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Naked Now and Where No One Has Gone Before. Both episodes that are clearly looking back at material from the original series more obviously than the Encounter at Farpoint episodes did. The question will be, does it work for this show? Kind of. I guess that's it for today, right? Spoiler, that's it. The episode's over. We're all done here. Let's start with The Naked Now. So The Naked Now is the third episode of the first season. It was directed by Paul Lynch, and the episode was written by DC Fontana, who wrote a lot of Star Trek, the original series, and The Encounter at Farpoint, but she wrote it under the pseudonym of J. Michael Bingham, which was kind of a convention of science fiction writers during her time period. I'm not sure it was really true in the late 80s, so that feels like kind of a holdover. It was also written by John D.F. Black, who is credited for his role in devising the plot's origins. The episode originally aired on October 5th, 1987. So quick summary. When called to investigate a distress call from a science vessel monitoring the collapse of a giant superstar, Picard and the Enterprise discover that the other crew has died under mysterious, seemingly self-inflicted circumstances. Soon, members of the Enterprise crew begin to act strangely, prompting Riker and Data to look into a long-forgotten incident on the original Enterprise. Sam, this episode has been subject to a lot of critiques over the years by Star Trek fans, especially because of its parallels with The Naked Time, which is a the original series episode. What were your first thoughts while watching this? I wish that we could do a cutaway, a la... The Orville creator, Seth MacFarlane. Because if we did, what you would see, imagine, the scene. Sicily, 1928. That was, that was good. That was, that was good. That I was think a, so. That was, was a, a good, solid joke. That was, that was something. Anyway, <laughs> picture, if you will. Earlier this week, Tessa and Sam watching this episode. I look over to Tessa and I say, this episode reminds me of an original series episode. And Tessa says, you mean the naked time? And I say, oh. And then I gesture like I have a sword. And I'm fencing. Because that's clearly the takeaway from the naked time. The naked time is is Sulu. Sulu with a sword. Yes, I totally get that. So, (laughs) I mean, is there anything in this episode that is as cool as Sulu wielding a sword i don't think so i mean i think i think the the thing that this cutaway would illustrate is that i genuinely don't remember things i mean that's fair it's i i just don't think people understand sometimes you do it's kind of fun though i get to experience re-experience things with you yeah the best part is you take notes about my reactions to things while we're watching the episode because i probably won't remember it you get some good content while watching the episode so i have to take notes because i can't just let that go to waste as I mentioned before, this episode has was critiqued when it came out and has been critiqued for a long time for its parallels to TOS. The fact that it's the third episode of the season or third episode of the show ever made a lot of people really nervous that they would continue to mine the original series for content. I told you this as we were watching the episode. The episode obviously hinges on people from the crew acting in strange ways because they have been 
infected with this virus, organism, whatever that makes them act drunk, which is the same premise as The Naked Time. The problem was that when The Naked Time came out, we already knew those characters fairly well. And so the humor of, oh, isn't it funny Sulu is running around with a sword? Isn't it funny that Spock is having to like do math problems in his head to keep himself calm? Whereas this, we don't know these people very well. We've only had two episodes with them. So a lot of people saw this as a really odd place to put this episode because of the way that it just immediately tries to break these characters before they've even established the characters. You had a different take, though, as we were watching it. First, I just want to say, it sounds like Tessa can't keep it together this week. She can't. And that's because I'm over here being a disaster. I'm very much being like Tessa usually is. (laughs) So I think the thing about this episode is I get the problem, right? You know, audience facing... We don't know these people well enough to have a good idea of what they're like when they're acting strangely. But at the same time, this is a new crew trying to get to know each other. And I mean, I'm not saying this is the same thing as like a corporate weekend retreat, but kind of. This is the equivalent of an entire new office going on a bender together. I think so. Does that work, though? I mean, I thought it was fine. Okay. I mean, you don't know these characters very well. So actually, your response to this is interesting considering the fact the way it's been critiqued by other Trek fans. No, I mean, like when uh, when reading Rainbow started going crazy, I mean, I I understood that that was a problem (laughs) when when he walked in and, you know, started hanging out with Wesley. I'm like, okay, all right, here's what's going to happen in this episode. Wesley's going to get infected. He has his little tractor beam toy. He has his impersonating picard machine this kid's gonna get delusions of grandeur and take over the ship and i knew that so you're right i didn't know the characters well enough to appreciate them being altered but i did know what was gonna happen it was fairly obvious i mean i i mean there was gonna be sex shenanigans but I didn't know there was gonna be the bad kind i i think we got introduced to some weird flashbacks of something that is like really, really heavy. Oh, right. Yeah. Because Tasha I, talks the, about the rape both, gangs. Yeah, both of these episodes have like casual references to rape gangs. And I'm like, I don't. You want to talk about something that's totally dissonant in this episode? It's not the callback to a Star Trek episode, the original series. It's that. I don't know if that was introduced in the episodes that we didn't watch or not. No, this but, is the third episode. So oh, right. we've there as are of, no episodes as of this one, we haven't skipped any. That might have been the weirdest thing about the episode. And to kind of piggyback on that, the other thing people really didn't like about this episode was the sexual encounter between Data and Tasha Yar. Having those two characters get together in this like very awkward one night stand while under the influence, Data's line about being functional in all the ways. A lot of people just, that struck them as really dissonant for these particular characters. Well, it's hard to say that they're dissonant if we've only had one prior exposure to them. But yeah, I didn't like it. The problem here is not the concept of the Naked Time version 2.0 as the first proper non-pilot episode. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with them reaching for things that they have no business reaching for. Rape gangs. Sudden sexual encounters. Maybe we save those things when we're not doing a high concept. 
Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. The other thing that came up, and you brought this up as we were watching the episode, is that it's not entirely clear if Data is actually infected or if he just sort of believes that he's infected because he's been trying to imitate human behavior so much. I don't think he was. How does that change your reading of this character? Part of it. Part of it. (laughs) He just wants to be part of it. Speaking of data, speaking of part of it, something happens at the beginning of the episode that you thought was hilarious. And it was the interaction between Beverly Crusher and data when data is being examined by Crusher for his like, I don't know, intake exam or something. And he tells her that he's been written up in a few mechanical (laughs) medical textbooks and then later asks Riker if she thought he was bragging. Yes. Yes. Clearly she did. It's not it's not a brag. It's factually accurate. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's like I was just being factually accurate. Yeah. Like he's very confused about the reaction that she has to him. And you in that moment said, "Is this me? Am I the data character?" It is. I don't know. I Well, I mean, yeah, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. First of all, when people use my salutation, which is wrong and they're misgendering me, they're also not using my proper salutation. And I, I don't, you know, it's factually accurate. I earned that degree. It's my right, title. Right. And it's gender neutral, which just makes life easier for everybody. But I always wondered about that, like outside of the workplace, you know, like our particular workplace. But it sounds like if you're like, oh, I'm a doctor, it sounds like condescension, like a brag. Right. But it's not. It's factually accurate. It is factually accurate. And it's not a, it's, it's. You make more money than I do. Call me doctor. It's like the one consolation I have. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I don't have anything else. And it's, you know, like, I'm writing a book. That is not a brag. That is literally the, my sun, moon, and stars and takes all of my time and I'm miserable. So I'm sorry it works its way into a conversation. I felt data in this moment. So not only do we get Riker and Data bonding over Data not understanding this particular interaction, we also get Worf and Data bonding over not understanding human humor because there's that moment where what is happening is compared to being intoxicated and Picard says it seems that our security officer has had a snootful. And <laughs> both Data expresses, as usual, his concern that he doesn't understand this word, and Worf turns to him and says, I don't understand their humor either. I've only seen two episodes of Star Trek. Well, I've seen three, because we're talking about the other one today, too. Is Sheldon Cooper Data? Oh, Data's much better than Sheldon Cooper. No, but but is he... Like, I, is I he think modeled that, after Data? I think the writers of Sheldon Cooper would be pleased to hear that comparison. I mean, like down to like the the fake question mark drunk thing. Like, I really feel like the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, that's what this is. It's quite possible. I don't think he is maybe as petty as Sheldon, like because he genuinely doesn't have emotions. They both have interesting relationships with Wesley, though. <laughs> that is absolutely yeah. true. Here's the question, though. Mm-hmm. Here's the question. Does that make Leonard Riker? Actually, Penny's Riker. <laughs> I was going to say, who's Penny? Pe- Penny's too hot to be anything other than Riker. Leonard is probably Deanna. What about what about Raj and Howard, then? <laughs> I broke Tessa, everybody. Howard, Howard is the chief engineer of this particular season before, <laughs> before that gets changed in the next season. 
and Raj. I don't know if Raj has a parallel. I would usually actually say Wesley. See, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I don't really think it's interesting because there's no clear mapping. Right. But it does really strike me that the people who created that character had to have been thinking about data. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that comes back to the original question that you asked me, right? Because the question about Sheldon is, is he neuroatypical? Mm-hmm. And we actually had a conversation about this, right? About this, like, I, I'm, I'm not, this, I am just telling you something. It's not, there's no emotion or extra intention added to it. And this is something that gets talked a lot about, as you pointed out. On you know in places like Twitter, right? And and that's something that that Sheldon deals with now. Ironically, I think, and this is part of what makes me think it's done on purpose, is that Data is an android who is specifically trying to understand what it's like to be human. And at the beginning of the series, you could argue that the whole series arc is this. But at the beginning of the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon is a human who has no interest in learning what it's like to be human. Right. Sheldon, but it's like an inverse. Sheldon is a very selfish character in a lot of ways. He's very inward looking. And he, his main motivation to change his behavior is attached to his friends. Right, eventually. Where Eventually, whereas Data, and this actually separates him from Spock as well, because remember in The Naked Time, Spock's reaction to becoming affected is to basically do math problems until he has no... He, emotions anymore data is embracing this infection as a way to possibly understand the humans around him so unlike sheldon and spock he wants to understand he wants to know if beverly crusher thought he was bragging genuinely he wants to understand that as a concept i also just one more thing and then i promise we'll stop talking about no i think theory but i think this is actually really useful, too, because, as you know, people tried to diagnose Sheldon repeatedly throughout the show. Well, what if we didn't use that paradigm? What if we just said Data is an android trying to be human and Sheldon is a human trying to be an android, leaving out any, any medical, psychological thing, just going, it's a bit. He's reverse Data. I mean, I think... It's, it's so much easier. It's not it's not complicated in that way. It's not offensive. It's not wrong-headed. It's just like this is that character but flipped. I think in terms of talking about those two characters, yes, I could see that. I would really hesitate to link neuroatypicalness with being an android. Well, that's what because I'm saying. Because it's been done in a harmful way before. But that's what I'm trying to say. Right. Like Although, if you don't do that at all and you just think about him as a Star uh Star Trek riff Mm-hmm. And you take out that connection. Right. Don't even refer to it at all. It's not important. It's stupid, which it is, by the way. But if you compare it to data, if you compare Sheldon to data, it's it's funny. Yeah, it is funny. And I will say, though, on the flip side, data is also a character that has been reclaimed by a lot of neuroatypical fans. Who's Wesley been reclaimed by? 
You remember what I told you during uh, the next episode? I told you, I swear to God, if this watch through of Star Trek The Next Generation ends up being justice for Wesley, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be unhappy. Hashtag justice for Wesley. Let's talk a little bit about Wesley. So Wesley catches the infection and immediately cripples the Enterprise. Like, immediately. Takes over engineering. No, he doesn't. He, he is a perfectly responsible... Uber captain. This seems to be born out of the desire to please Picard or for Picard to take him seriously because that's what he's asking for when he's held the engine is hostage. It, is it, Tessa? Is it really? Yeah, it is because he says- I don't says, think so. Yeah, because he says, why won't you tell me what to do? I can do it. I don't, But I don't think that's what that is. What do you think it is? Wesley is saying, I am the smartest, most competent person on this ship. Why should I not be in charge? Surprise, surprise, he is. <laughs> we find out in the next episode that we watched this week that he actually is. That's true. Yeah, there's an interesting This is a arc. great one-two punch of episodes from Wesley's point of view because he is not a stupid child. He is smarter than every single person on that ship. Intellectually. I feel like emotionally he has some ground to cover. Well, that's not what I said. Right, I exactly. I said most intelligent. At one point, he says, I'm so hot and confused. And you said, no, that's adolescence, honey. <laughs> did I? Yeah. Did I say honey? Yeah. Oh, I have my moments. <laughs> the other thing, of course, is that this plays into Picard's hatred of children. <laughs> and the fact that he's being bested by a child for almost the entire episode is definitely played for laughs. I love this so much. Yes. I love that Picard is a giant stick in the mud. <laughs> and I am confused. I am Genuinely confused. I mean, we have several seasons, but like that dude is introspective in his old age. How did you get from jerk face captain to this in Picard? Yeah, I think that's actually another series arc that we okay. can talk about. All right. I like this Homer and Bart <laughs> relationship that's evolving. Oh my God. Like, I hadn't thought he, about that. He is that. like two steps away from strangling that child. It's true. I will say that Wesley is in a tie for one of the best lines of the episode, though, which is when Riker and one of the, the engineers manages to finally get past his force field and they find the whatever, the little chips or whatever, all out of order. Wesley says, an adult did it, which is like <laughs> perfect. Well, no notes. He did. The other line that's tied for best is still Data's, if you prick me, do I not leak? Which is also an excellent line. I don't know if either of them is as funny as Sulu with the sword, but it is pretty funny. I do like that Wesley is taking the, the Sulu role in this episode. Yes. It is, <laughs> it is pretty good. What did you think about Wesley, in the end, saving the ship from the danger that he put the ship in? Obviously. <laughs> I, I mean, like... This is one of my things with, with TV shows every so often. When they tell us something at the very beginning, and it's like shock and awe 20-plus years later. It's like, uh, he's okay, he's the smartest dude. Oh, 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 he's a traveler. Got it. Neat. So two more things I wanted to do. <laughs> You're like, no, stop it. I'm like, these episodes really do go together, though. Okay. Like watching this, this one. Mm-hmm. First, saying, I don't understand. All I know is shut up, Wesley. Right. How did I not know? 
I knew I knew that Worf was a Klingon. I know he shows up in another show. I know about Picard and Borg and stuff like that. I know about Riker's steely blue eyes. <laughs> I know about reading Rainbow in his visor. I mean, there are like things I know about these characters, like their basic traits. Just from basic pop culture but osmosis. I didn't know that Wesley was the smartest person there. That's what gets me, right? Like, this is like Sixth Sense all over again. It's like seeing it and going, oh, look at that. He's a smart. Oh, that's going to be a thing later. And then in the it's second true. episode, it was a thing. And then over 20 years later, it was again a thing. And it's just like, when you talk about Sixth Sense, you talk about the thing. When you talk about Lost, you talk about the thing. Nobody's talking about the intricate mystery from season one or things like that. They're talking about the thing about the show. When people talk about Fringe, nobody talks about what happens before the thing. They talk about the thing. Wesley's the thing is not talked about. Right. And I think that's because this character was seen as really annoying, which, again, I'm not sure I actually well, agree he, with. He is. I mean, no, he is. But when I was a kid, like I said in the last episode, he was my entry point into this show. And so I tend to treat him a lot more charitably, I think, than some adult viewers did. Maybe it has to do with the fact that I've literally built a professional career around this very thing. Right. I don't know. Maybe. And I, it seems weird. I definitely want to continue to talk about Wesley as we move into the next episode, but there are two things I want to finish talking about before we finish this one. The first one is the other line from LaForge, who, when drunk, I didn't appreciate that when drunk, he starts to complain about how he doesn't have sight, because I just don't feel like that's true to the character. The character really seems to embrace the visor, and he seems very... This is just the way I see. And so it feels a little weird and a little ableist to be like, I can't actually see. I, it's not as good as the way you see. I don't like that. However, I did like the, I have never seen a rainbow. Troy on the bathroom floor. That's all I could think of. <laughs> you can't disappoint a picture. <laughs> the final thing I wanted to talk about of all the strange things that happened, this is semi-important because it's a thread that will come through the rest of the series is we get to see the first Picard Beverly flirtation, even though it's weird and awkward and they're both paranoid, but he calls her Bev. She kind of comes on to him, but he goes down to the sick bay and clicks his heels, but they sort of also know that they're intoxicated. So they're sort of like trying to work it out at the same time, but there is sort of that thread of attraction between them that is going to continue through the series. How did that make you feel? It reminds me again of the scene in The Simpsons where Lisa is shouting in her dream, I'll help you, George Washington. <laughs> and Bart walks by with his glass of water going, wow, even your dreams are lame. Like, this is that. Like, I'm like, wow, you guys don't flirt. It looks bad when you do it. Don't, don't. You're going you're gonna to make flirting not a thing anymore because you're going to break it. You're going to ruin it for everybody. Please stop. So you think that this is an awkward subtext in the show? You don't see these two characters as being like here's a, here's a question a for long you. running here's romance. a question for you. If you don't like a subtext, as long as it doesn't become text, can you pretend that it doesn't exist? Of course. Well, that's what I'm doing. Okay, all right, fair enough. 
Let's move on to the next episode. We skipped a couple. Our first skip of the season. Woo! We watched Where No One Has Gone Before, which is the sixth episode of the first season. Interestingly enough, you'll appreciate this. The original episode aired on October 26, 1987. However, a high-definition remastered version of the episode received a limited theatrical release for one day, along with the episode Data Lore, which we are also going to watch, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the series in July of 2012. I Okay, so somebody will have to fact-check me on this, but I believe the thing that it's being referenced and the reference-er... I believe I have this right, but if not, it's the other way around. I just like how this episode plays homage to Spaceballs and Ludicrous Speed. Because that's that's the, you know, traveling through space really fast. And the it reminded me of Ludicrous Speed. I really literally did. just watched Spaceballs like two years ago. And yeah, you're making references that I don't, I don't get. Ludicrous Speed. You We've say that like plaid. it's a thing We've that I should know. Plaid. Anyway. Hi. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, the story was originally developed with the title Where None Have Gone Before. It was based on Diane Duane's book The Wounded Sky, which is actually a original series Star Trek novel that was published in 1983 that follows Kirk and his crew traveling to the ends of the universe to where reality and thought merge. So it's interesting that they took a story that was originally set during the TOS era and then transplanted it onto TNG. Imagine, if you will, a place in space where thoughts and time collide. It's actually that pocket black hole and interstellar <laughs> which is the thing that we talked about right like yes you know we we discussed fourth and fifth dimensions while we were watching this and i got stuck in a loop and you helped me get out of it it was really it was a moment this episode was directed by rob bowman x-files dude x-files dude X-Files oh yeah you dude. said that while we I were watching it i did say that so rob bowman is one of the the main x-files dudes He directed 33 episodes of The X-Files. He also did work on... uh, He did the Lone Gunman pilot. Uh, He was connected to the first X-Files film. I'm I'm clearly looking at Wikipedia here. He was also listed as a producer for 89 episodes of The X-Files. He's also one of the main people behind Castle as well. So this is interesting. This is somebody who got his start... Well, didn't really get his start here. He did a lot of 80s TV, but this is, you know, something that he used to parlay into a bigger job, not unlike what we're going to see Ron Moore do in the 90s with whichever one of the two shows he was on. Which is really funny, actually, that you bring this up, because one of my fun facts about this episode is that Donald Petrie was originally signed on to direct the episode, but dropped out to direct the film Mystic Pizza. So... Maybe if Mystic Pizza didn't exist, we wouldn't have X-Files. But if Mystic Pizza didn't exist, would we have Julia Roberts? Would we have Pretty Woman? Is Mystic Pizza an Ur-text? No. Is it a pivotal text? Maybe. Quick summary. The Enterprise invites a renowned warp propulsion expert, Mr. Kaczynski, aboard to run some efficiency tests and make some adjustments to the warp core. 
The tests soon go awry, causing the Enterprise to travel to another galaxy, and only Wesley notices that Kaczynski's assistant seems to be the cause. So we had a conversation about this at the very beginning of the episode. Yes. And you definitely explained to me that Starfleet has a giant gullibility quotient because this dude's clearly a fake. Come I, on. You referred to him, and I quote, as Starfleet Chris Catan. I conjure you. I dare you. I defy you to go look up this character and tell me you do not think about the fact that no, you cannot have the mango. I do not get that reference either. Like this is like one character away from the Roxbury guys. I mean, like this is. Is he one of the most annoying characters we've seen on this show so far? I like how I just made a string of references. You have no. That's the theme of this episode. Nothing. References nothing. Tessa does not understand. Yeah, this guy's just like Chris Kattan, and it, and it's it's killing me. There's a lot of like toxic male, I, I want to say auteur because that's the, the discourse that I'm most familiar with. He's obviously not an auteur, but like it's that this guy is a genius and so we can't question anything he says and he can act however he wants and even in these really toxic ways and nobody can speak back to him because he's a genius. You know, you think about media that's made for Generation X and you realize that most of it isn't because we're such a small cohort. I don't know if the next generation was pitched more at boomers than Xers. I suspect that it was. I, I I really feel like any, and again, anybody who's hearing this who qualifies as an X or a Xennial, tell me that's not a generational thing. You know, uh, this this generation X looking at somebody and going, yeah, that's clearly a fraud. He's, yeah. he's clearly a fraud. The other guy's doing all the work and this guy's taking all the credit. Typical. This is why we don't trust you people. And Riker calls him out on it immediately. Like Riker, at the very beginning of the episode, right after the captain's log monologue, he immediately tells Picard, something's off. This data is garbage. First of all, you mentioned uh, captain's log. Yes. So I just really love toward the end of the episode where he's like, captain's log doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> just starts talking. This is so typically a generation. Uh, I just... Ugh, something's wrong. Kid comes up. I can tell you what's wrong. Shut up, kid. That is us in a nutshell. First, I think we need to talk about the assistant slash traveler who we only find out he's called the traveler right. near the end of the of the thing. But he is a fifth dimensional being. This is not mentioned in the episode, but we kind of had to start, pause the episode and piece together the time and the spaceness of it all. But the way he describes himself is as this highly evolved being who exists outside of time, where thought, time, and space are not separate. And you pointed out, because you're a time travel expert. N no, I'm not. That aficionado, well, perhaps. Aficionado. You're a time travel hobbyist. hobbyist. That sounds horrible. In my spare time. What's that movie where the hobbyists actually make the time machine? Oh, Primer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not Horrible that. movie. Horrible but movie. But I'm not that. So, but we, we actually paused it and talked it out because like the I, he says a lot of things at the end of this episode that don't make sense. But if you think about him as a creature or a being that is outside of time, that is exists in the fifth dimension, 
actually, before we go into this, why don't you explain this? It's very interstellar. That's kind of what it, I think. Well, of. it's it's interstellar and slaughterhouse five. Like this is one of the characters that Pilgrim interacts with. The so it goes. Yeah. So I don't particularly care for slaughterhouse five. So let's talk about interstellar instead, which may or may not be a good movie, but it has a very interesting idea. If we're down on Chris Nolan because he knows what he did, we can still talk about Kip Thorne as the big, you know, physicist scientific mind behind most of these things. But so this character in in the Star Trek episode is like the fifth dimensional beings in Interstellar who, spoiler alert, are us evolved. Right. You can think about it as humans are fourth dimensional beings because we move through time and time is the fourth dimension, but we cannot perceive the dimension that we're currently moving through, right? It's it's kind of like an extension of the Heisenberg principle, right? You can't can't clearly observe the thing without misunderstanding it or altering it or whatever. So we cannot see time as it is, even though we are creatures of that dimension. So we that's why we perceive things three-dimensionally. And we get glimpses of fourth dimension. Like we I'm not saying that we don't, but we don't understand it the way that we do the dot, the line, and the you know, the three-dimensional object, the cube, right? So the traveler can. He understands. And so he is able to understand the fifth dimension, which Interstellar posits is love. By the way, don't forget. <laughs> posits, I mean, which I, I, I know a lot of people made fun of it as being cheesy, but I actually kind of liked it as an well, answer. Well, but that's the thing. If you think about the fifth dimension in this episode, it is the place where thought and time, it's, they never really name it. It's the nexus of things. And if that's not love, well, I mean, I don't. If that is not a definition of love, then so that's completely appropriate. And and this explains why he's unable while he phases in and out. He doesn't have control over the fifth dimension. He is a fifth dimensional being. We don't have control over time, but we try to manipulate it as best we can. And sometimes we're able to do it in like time travel. We can't. So he's able to manipulate it to an extent up to and including his own, you know, just detriment. And we also get the classic time travel paradox in this, right? That I can't tell you too much about your own future. Right. Which I'll... is a real nice callback to Back to the Future, right? Yeah. Anyway, I so yeah, that that's the deal here, is that you have a, a, a fifth dimensional being hanging out with the fourth dimensional beings, trying to prod them along, accidentally doing something to make it unsafe, and trying to untangle his mistake. Whereas the point of Interstellar is to help them move along. It's kind of it's kind of Spock interference, right? And I think that's interesting because if we think about what he says to Riker, especially, or even just what he says to any of them when they try to question him about where he's from, and like Riker even says, like, are you from the future? And he says, Not really. Well, maybe. And like that's such a contradictory answer, except for as you say, we experience time, but we experience it linearly. If you are right. outside of time, you wouldn't experience it that well, way. And that's what Vonnegut writes about. Right. When, when the, the beings pluck Billy Pilgrim out and, and blow his mind that way. Right. That is the Tesseract 
in Interstellar. To to try to explain it is an exercise in futility. Which is what he tell, tells them several times. He says, I could explain yeah, it. You we, would not understand yeah, it. Plus, we do not have the budget for that. Yeah, so exactly. Just, we're just not. <laughs> It's also funny the way that he's like casually condescending to them where they're like, why haven't we heard of you before? And he's like, to be honest, your species just now became interesting. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do that's, with Wesley. That's 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 the classic Calvin and Hobbes, you know, thing. The the surest the surest sign that there's intelligent life out there is that they have not tried to contact <laughs> us. That is that is classic Calvin. Classic Calvin. Not Calvinist. Calvin. Calvin. Calvinian? 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 So not Hobbesian though. That would be wrong. That would be absolutely too. wrong. That would be Hobbesist. <laughs> that, that sounds, sounds like, like an epithet. <laughs> sounds like you're trying to segregate tigers. <laughs> <laughs> so the but he does warn Picard there is a very specific future that he can't interfere in, and that is Wesley's future, like you mentioned before. So Wesley is also at the heart of this. Like you said, a lot of this episode is about how they still underestimate him, the crew. They're so mean to him in this episode. Like Riker like pushes him off twice when he's trying to explain to Riker that he thinks it's the traveler who is actually making the Enterprise go this fast. Picard is constantly referring to him as the boy. He tries to kick him out of the sick room several times of the tra- traveler. Uh, let me ask you a question. Are we going to forget all of this except for the times where it's appropriate not to? Not really. Oh, we're going to remember that Wesley's the super smart kid and maybe we shouldn't be such jackasses to him? Well, remember, the Traveler tells Picard you can't even tell him. You have to treat him like you normally would. But then he gives him bridge access. Right. But that's... My point is is that he's still going to be mean to Wesley. That's what, that's what oh, I'm well, trying to say. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. It'd be weird if he didn't. It's really interesting to me that there's that, that tension in this episode because the Traveler immediately recognizes Wesley potential especially because wesley actually tells us what the episode's going to be about at the beginning of the episode when he asked the traveler is there a place where time and space and thought are all the same thing and i love how the traveler basically sticks his fingers in the in his ears and goes la, 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 i can't hear you it's revealed he's a prodigy even though nobody listens to him i immediately remembered the spoiler no i didn't but before they named the, as soon as they named the character the Traveler, I was like, Wesley's a Traveler? What? <laughs> but of course I knew that. We haven't seen it yet. You didn't know what that meant. No, I didn't. I do now. Yeah. And I'm fascinated. Of course, I know they screw it up, but that's really beside the point. Are you like 100% more invested in Wesley now? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Despite that really dumb orange ruffled sweater that he wears the entire oh episode. God. The 80s were a fun time. No, they weren't. <laughs> They're lying to you. Did you like how Picard punks Wesley at the end where he's like, where he has that conversation with Riker and he's like, I did say that kids weren't allowed on the bridge. I guess we're going to have to make him an acting ensign. He, this is basically a like gifted child program where Wesley gets to work on the ship as kind of an officer, but he also is being assisted by the other officers in his study. It, it is a gifted child program. Right. We will recognize you as gifted when it's appropriate, and then every other time we'll forget it. Pretty much. Enrichment time for 90 minutes a week, and you better like it. Now stop getting in trouble. <laughs> was that Wesley Crusher or me? It was definitely me. Might have also been Wesley, but that was definitely me. 
in interviews, Will Wheaton has said that this episode is really the first time that he sees the next generation really start to come together. Like he felt like this episode, they had finally hit their stride. Do you remember what I told you? I don't. Oh, I mean, I remember a lot of things. You have to be specific. What's that like? What's it like remembering oh, things? God. I told you I like this better. You did. Uh, did. Then what? The original series. I think one key reason is what I said during our early Sam Watches Star Trek experiences, which is these episodes are too long and they just drag. They have, they could have 10 minutes. Every original series episode could have 10 minutes chopped off and it would be better for it. Now we get to the point where supernatural episodes are 39 minutes and that's just probably about as long as they need to be. But you know, the increasing time allowed for commercials in an hour-long show is not something to be happy about. But in this case, it really helps. I think the episodes move along at a better pace. And I don't know. I, I've told you what I think about pop culture from the, that era. And I, I sometimes have trouble with films from that era. I just, I cannot put my finger on what it is. I think think and i'd have to see a lot more films but i think this you know star trek's always had kind of a filmic quality to it sometimes more than the actual films but you know to have watched that 30s and 40s era with that weird transatlantic accent <laughs> and the the patter the pitch the fast pace you know the the beats of some of those genres of film some of which we talked about on Monkey Off My Backlog with Elise recently. See, listen to me referring to an episode we haven't done yet. We haven't recorded yet. Right. I will have said the thing I'm telling you. Now, we have to remember to do this or it won't happen. But it did happen. <laughs> oh, God. Your favorite time travel narrative. Yes, it is. So the, the point is that I think a lot of the film conventions that just bake themselves in, and like I said, I'm carrying this over to television, in the 60s just don't work for me as well. And again, I cannot tell you why. The next generation just feels way more comfortable. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't think I attribute that to the characters. I don't think I contribute that to the actors or the, the plots of the show. There's just something about it that... It, it, it's good times. So there's a few other... Would, would I be happier to watch 200 episodes of Star Wars instead? Yeah, but that's not the point. That's not the show we're watching. That is not what we're discussing. And that's besides, not. Disney Plus is only going to give me like nine episodes every two years if I'm nice about it. True. Absolutely true. We should definitely I like The Last Jedi. That. There's a few other things that I wanted to mention about this episode. The first one is actually a very important detail that you brought up in the very beginning of the episode, which is... Does this Enterprise have recumbent seating? Yeah, that's weird. Okay, hold on. <laughs> now, now listen. Picard has like the comfiest chair I've ever seen. And that would make sense if you had the battle bridge, right? Because you're in that seat for a long time. And, and we know that, you know, people who work in sedentary jobs, it, you know, these things can become an issue. So at least I hope he's getting up at least once every hour and walking around. But it's really important that he has like the I imagine that chair is heated. It's probably got the vibration. You know, so you get the massage. I mean, it's all good, right? But like the 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 
chairs down in the front are all the way leaned back. And I just, I don't know. I, I'm just like, was the bridge built for like star voyages or pleasure? Because I don't know, man. Do you think it has anything to do with the viewing screen? Like it's a fishbowl effect? No. Nice of you to try to I'm always. It. I, I will say I've always been mad that the chief security officer doesn't seem to have a chair. Ta- <laughs> Tasha just stands there at her little station behind Picard the whole time. This does bring up that once they get into this place where like thought can influence reality, they all see a lot of very strange things, right, based on what they're thinking. Some of the highlights, I think, that we really appreciated were Worf's Targ, which is the first thing that we see where this animal just appears on the bridge and it turns out Worf had one as a pet and Tasha basically calls it oh it's a Klingon kitty cat and then there's a kitty cat yeah and then Tasha's cat shows up which is where we get the really disturbing flashback of her running away from the rape gangs holding this cat (laughs) like I'm not saying this shouldn't be a facet of her character but Again, I have not seen it dealt with a thought in a thoughtful way yet. And we did we did skip episodes between this one and the first one. So maybe they did. I don't know, but I'm not sure I play that for laughs. I know they didn't play it for laughs, but they but they had the laughs and then, you know, like jump cut us into terror. And I'm I don't know that they've earned that. I I don't like that. It doesn't seem like this character is very well developed at all. Maybe maybe she will, later in this season, earn this backstory and a chair. Maybe. Maybe. We'll have to see. Something that is funny, though, and we both laughed at, was Picard almost falling out of the turbo lift into space. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying, but it's also really funny. That's life, Tessa. <laughs> terrifying, but also really funny. He also sees his mom. And has tea with her. Was that his mom or yeah. his grandma? I think it was mom, his mom. Right. She looks a lot different than the next time we see her. That's true. Or the first time I saw her. And she has a terrible French accent. Yeah. I asked you, I was like, what accent is this? I mean, to be fair, Picard has a British accent, which is also a terrible French well, accent. See, but, but that makes sense, though, because if you're putting it in the future, as we've talked about, accents drift and change, so it might be completely appropriate that he have a British accent even though he lives in France. And if that's so, his mom's accent makes no damn sense. None of the accents make None any damn sense. None of them make sense. any sense. It is absolutely true. The future is weird, people. So the other very funny thing that Picard says in this episode is when they're in this dimension, when they're past all the galaxies the first time, like the two galaxies over, and then when they're in this dimension, the crew following proper Starfleet curiosity keep being like, maybe we should stay for science. And Picard says this wonderful thing where he says, who will we report this back to? Like, what's the point of doing science here if we can't ever leave? And I wrote down when he said that, if science happens in the fifth dimension and no one hears it, did it make a sound? I'm very proud of that joke. You should be. I have a thought about orgies. I don't think I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> because of my science joke? No, because of, well, no, because of what we're talking about. Like, we could we could stay. Well, who would we report it to? I don't know, but the orgies would be good. <laughs> that's, that's all I thought. I'm like, I didn't, why does it have to be about science? Why does it have to be about reporting things? Why can't you learn things and enjoy things? Why... 
the Losbert principle. Why do you hate joy? Sam? Yes? On the one hand, I don't know what to do with this are joke. You, are you proud of me? But on the other hand, I am so proud that you are finally embracing the sexy sexiness of Star Trek. I'm not embracing it. I'm just saying it's a natural eventuality of where they are. And even I, person who wants you to desperately stop trying to make thruples happen. I haven't brought up one thruple on this episode. You were thinking it though. I was not. None you of these so. people qualify as a thruple. Good. None of these relationships qualify as a thruple. Good. Anyway, I think we both really liked this episode, but we both thought the ending was a little cheap. There's a little bit of a Tinkerbell moment at the end where it's like, I need you all to think about the traveler, like send him your good thoughts. It very much felt like the like clap if you believe and bring Tink back to life. And now we're back to Julia Roberts. Oh, yeah. I forgot she played Tinkerbell. Good job. It must be a whole episode. It was bad. No notes. But how else were they going to end it, though? I That's the question. Like, I guess they saw it as an opportunity to take advantage of this whole thought and space situation. Yeah. But it comes across as being very, like, saccharine. Yes. However, if you go back to the premise of The Traveler, there is no way that they could understand through what mechanism their thoughts will help make this so. So... Might as well be this because it's not going to be whatever it should be because they can't understand it, but they can understand the Tinkerbell principle. <laughs> they both end with Picard doing this thing, which becomes fairly normal in the show, where it's like this like strange, life-threatening, bizarre experience just happened. All right, what's our next? What's our next mission? Where are we going next? What are our orders? Like nobody like needs time off. Nobody reports to Starfleet. It's just like, eh, let's check the next thing off our to-do list. Is the Enterprise a latchkey kid? <laughs> Is that where you want to end the episode? I do. Okay. All right. Overall, what did you think of these two episodes? I like them. So you did like them. Thumbs yeah. up? Yeah. Okay. Did yeah. you like them more than Encounter at Farpoint? Yes. That's all for today. I think we've done enough damage. Next week, join us to hear Sam and I discuss the episodes Haven and Hide in Q. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa, Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A, and you can find Sam at Sam underscore Morris 9. Until next time, live long and prosper.